Hey, it's Peter. Got a second? I just want to talk to you about something. It's no big deal. It's just, well, I want to talk about our relationship. One of the best parts of my job as an NPR host is meeting our audience members after our shows. And the thing people tell me most is that wait, wait is a bright spot at the end of their week. And that actually means a lot to us. And we'd love to continue being there for you, but we need your help. You see, public radio is supported by listeners like you. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is, do you want to make things between us official? Then donate to support us, and I'll pretend that when I'm speaking, I'm only talking to you. Go to donate.npr.org wait to support your local station. Your donation, in turn, helps programs like us. And thank you. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. Forget Bill de Blasio. I'm Bill the Badassio. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Curtis. And here is your host at Carnegie Hall in New York, New York, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. It is so exciting to be here. It has been 10 years since we were last here at Carnegie Hall, but it was worth the wait, especially because all of the people here who told us we could never come back have retired. <laughs> Part of the contract you sign when you play Carnegie Hall is you have to be at least 35% classy. So we had to bring in a ringer to up our average. Later on, we're going to be talking to the legendary actress Candace Bergen right here on this stage. You can always use a little classiness bump, though. We know how sophisticated you are, so give us a call. We'll get the credit. The number is one triple eight. wait wait That's 1-888-924-8924. Let's welcome our first listener contestant. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi, my name is Robin, and I'm calling from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Oh, gosh. Well, I love Chapel Hill, and I really love your charming southern accent. <laughs> oh, I know. It's straight from Louisiana. It... <laughs> so they know you're not from there. Where are you actually from, Robin? I grew up near Oxford, England, and I've been living in the south for about two and a half years. And how do you enjoy it? I like it. The weather's much better here, and people don't complain as much. <laughs> They're, they, they're probably complaining, but they're being subtle about it. So when they say things like, oh, bless your heart, they're actually insulting you. <laughs> Robin, welcome to our show. Let me introduce you to our panel this week. First, it's a contributor to CBS Sunday Morning and the host of Science Goes to the Movies on PBS. It now has its own YouTube channel. It's Faith Saley. Next, it's a writer and performer who, among many things, plays Mike Pence on The President Show. It's Peter Gross. Hi there. And finally, it's a comedian performing New Year's Eve at the Norse Theater in San Francisco and the host of Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. You guessed it, it's Paula Poundstone. Robin. You, of course, are going to play Who's Bill this time. Bill Curtis is going to read for you three quotations from the week's news. If you can correctly identify or explain two of them, you will win our prize. Any voice from our show, you might choose on your voicemail. You ready to play? Yes, I am. Let's do it. Your first quote is from a text a journalist says he got this week. He spoke to Robert Mullen 19 times, so you can call your mother every now and then. The journalist says he got that from his mom... The day it was revealed, <laughs> who had spoken to Robert Mueller a total of 19 times? Michael Flynn? That's yeah. right, Robin. Yeah. 
I'm so glad. I'm so glad that even though you've been in our country such a short time, you've learned all of our felons. <laughs> We've been waiting for Robert Mueller to reveal what he's been doing for a year and a half. It's like the world's longest pregnancy, and this week, Robert Mueller's water broke. <laughs> On Tuesday, Robert Mueller filed a motion about former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, which said basically, since Flynn has been so incredibly helpful telling us all kinds of things, he shouldn't go to prison. What did he say? We don't know. Most of it was redacted, whole paragraphs blacked out. But you can kind of tell from context, like, uh, quote, and then Mr. Flynn told us that President Donald J. Blank <laughs> said blank about how much he blanks Vladimir blank. <laughs> and he said the president most certainly Kalu blanked. <laughs> You know what? What, Paul? I, I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, but I, I have a, a growing belief that uh, Mueller uh, could have been done for a while, but that he has an investment in um, digestive aids. <laughs> but he's like prolonging. Like, he's like, like basically, he bought, he bought a huge stock position in Maalox. Yeah, exactly. And he's just trying and, to increase um, our tension. You know, Is that what you mean? Senecott and those kinds of... I, 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 I have had... <laughs> Wait a second. You are the one who are, you're mentioning actual brand names on National Public Radio. Maybe you're in the pocket of big Senecott. Because <laughs> I haven't heard somebody say Senecott in like 30 years. People do. They say it. You're just not in the room and they say it. No, when well, you, you volunteer you, nursing homes, so obviously. You have to believe that if NPR actually tried to do a product placement, we'd end up with Senecott. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> You, I, have, I have such a stomachache from just waiting every day. And you know, I make the mistake of watching MSNBC, like a lot of times in a hotel room, when I arrive, I'll put it on and I tell myself, just while I'm unpacking. And then I just, I just can't turn it off. It's the panels. It's the constant oh, panels. Oh, the panels. Well, here's oh the thing, Paul. Oh, my God, Paula. the panels are killing me. Here's the thing. So, like I said, th this document came out and everything interesting was redacted. You could not read it. But like CNN still invited on 10 panelists and, and they're over a Chiron breaking news. None of these people know anything and yet still they speak. Yeah. Well, Robin, your next quote is from Joe Biden. I'm a gaff machine. That was Mr. Biden <laughs> explaining why he is the most qualified guy around to do what? To become the next president of the United States. Yes, indeed. That's what he was talking about. Just a couple of weeks after the midterms, the race for the White House 2020 is on. So many people are publicly musing about running that it is easier to just count the people who, are, who we know are not running. So far, that is former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick and George H.W. Bush. <laughs> <laughs> well, he couldn't get elected as a Republican today, so he would yeah, run as a Democrat. Biden will be 78 in 2020. Bernie wow. Sanders, who is also in it to win it, will be 79. All the people running in the next election will be people who can't actually run. <laughs> you know who else is old and is saying he's going to run is Mike Bloomberg. Bloomberg is 76. Yes. He said he's, he's going to run? Why would Mike Bloomberg go to Iowa? Just That's to like hang point. out and be Good like... Question. 
you know. You I think I might buy some of this place. <laughs> what do you have here? You have corn? I'll buy some yeah. corn. Now, speculation has also increased that Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown might be running. Why? And this is true. Because he's I'm, already in Ohio. It's true. He doesn't have far to go. But the reason people think he's actually getting ready to run for president, and I'm not kidding, is because he has finally combed his hair. Hmm. Uh, hearing this, Bernie Sanders asked, wait, you can comb it? <laughs> Robin, for your last quote, we want you to listen to Bill croon like Bing Crosby. The neighbors might think, say, what's in that drink? That was a lyric from a song that more and more radio stations are refusing to play this Christmas season. What is the song? Baby, it's cold outside. Baby, it's cold outside. Very good, Robin. The classic holiday duet by Frank Lesser is a conversation between a woman and a man, and the woman keeps saying she wants to go, and the man kind of keeps her from leaving. It seems a little Me Too-ish, but we're told it's just a product of a different time when it was entirely innocent for Bing Crosby to sing, it puts the lotion in the basket. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is true. You you cannot, like, completely apply modern sensibilities to all these classic songs. For example, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is bullied for having a nose of color. And, And that in the song Let It Snow, who brings, quote, corn for popping to a Christmas party? Seriously? Cynthia brought two bottles of wine. You bring some seeds. Great. Thanks, you. What about Grandma got run over by a reindeer? Yeah, why is there no presents for Grandma? Call an ambulance. Don't write a song. (laughs) My God. That's true. There are no good... Christmas songs, but every yes, great no, Christmas no, songs. What I was going to say. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with me is I was going to say that all Hanukkah songs are perfect because there's no <laughs> there's no social commentary. You're just looking at something spinning and it falls, and no one picks it up and like takes it in a bedroom after it's dizzy and falling. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice, clean Hanukkah fun. Robin, excuse me, Bill, how did Robin do? She couldn't have done any better. Three in a row. Congratulations, Robin. You are fitting well here in America, and you are welcome. Thank you so much for calling. Thank you. Panel, right now, time for you to answer some questions about this week's news. Paula, SpongeBob SquarePants is one of the most popular TV kids shows ever. In fact, according to researchers, it's even loved by whom? Uh, actual uh, sea creatures? Yes. (gasps) No. Specifically. Sponges? No. (laughs) You're so close. Although that would be very surprising (laughs) if like Uh, uh, literally a sponge, this inert, practically dead organism was like, no, don't turn the channel. No, I'll, uh, I'll give you a hint. Starfish, you, you, dolphins? You, no, yes, dolphins. There you we got go. It. Dolphins love SpongeBob. According to the study, which was published in the oh, esteemed geez. science journal Jesus, the Internet is going to have a field day with this. <laughs> <laughs> dolphins actually enjoy watching TV, and they really love SpongeBob SquarePants. It makes sense to them. It's to them both the adventures of a delightful undersea creatures and a menu. Okay, how did they do the research? How did they select the well, dolphins? Well, the first phase of the experiment... Did they raise their little fins to be... 
Like, who would like to be in the SpongeBob experiment? <laughs> so here's the thing: they, they're trying. These scientists are trying to find out how intelligent dolphins are. And now that they <laughs> know the right. dolphins, if they're intelligent, if they watch SpongeBob, that doesn't mean you're intelligent. So from now on, when a college is doing admissions, instead of asking for SAT scores, they'll go, "Who likes SpongeBob?" <laughs> Coming up, our panelists lie to you in under 10 minutes. That's our Bluff the Listener game. Call one wait wait to play We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Zoom Video Communications. Video conferencing has changed the way we do business. Meet happy anytime, anywhere with Zoom, connecting team members across the globe. Imagine seeing up to 49 people on the screen all at once in digital video. Share anything, a file, a video, a photo via desktop, laptop, tablet, or mobile. Visit zoom.us to set up your free account today and meet happy with Zoom Video Communications. Zoom.us. Planet Money tip number 17. A great analogy doesn't have to make sense. Busier than a one-legged bobcat covering up his own crap on a frozen pond. Did you just make that up? <laughs> well, yeah. I just... Planet Money, a poetic podcast about the economy. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We're playing this week with Peter Gross, Faith Saley, and Paula Poundstone. And here again is your host at Carnegie Hall in New York, New York, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, everybody. Right now, right now it is time... For the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Bluff the Listener game, call one wait wait to play our game on the air. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Oh, this is Ray Winokur. Who's this? <laughs> <laughs> this is a legitimate question. That's Peter Sagal here, the host of the show. We're looking, looking forward for... to be bluffed. Yes, we're going to bluff you, but tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you calling from, Ray? St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis, oh, Missouri. Go. I can tell you're legit because yes. you call it that. What do, what do you do and there, we... Ray? Well, I'm retired school teacher. That's great. And I am uh, currently creating jewelry and giving it to not-for-profit organizations for their fundraisers. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a great thing to do. (laughs) Well, it's nice to have you with us, Ray. You're going to play our game in which you must try to tell truth from fiction. What's the topic, Bill? It only took nine minutes. A lot can happen in nine minutes. You can make nine batches of minute rice. A cat can live nine very short lives. <laughs> this week we read about something else that just took nine minutes. Our panelists are going to tell you about it. Pick the one who's telling the truth. You'll win our prize, the voice of the wait waiter of your choice on your voicemail. You ready to play? Yes. All right. Go on. Okay. <laughs> I can tell you're impatient. We will get to this. Let's hear first from Peter Gross. The Brown Theater in Louisville, Kentucky, which describes itself as the grand dame of Louisville's artistic community, prides itself on presenting exceptional theatrical experiences. And on Saturday, the audience was treated to a truly unique event, the single worst performance of the musical The Wiz anyone had ever seen. Almost every element of the production was cursed, starting with the costumes. According to one audience member, the show's Dorothy was wearing a dress that was, quote, clearly from Walmart. 
Another patron told reporters that the cowardly lion's costume didn't include a tail or a mane, and he was missing one of his paws, which he made up for by covering his hand with a black sock. He didn't even look like a lion, reported this budding Ben Brantley. He looked like a dumb Sasquatch. Then there was the crew, which set up for the wrong scene several times, then had to quickly scurry to reset for the correct scene after the lights came up, revealing their mistake. On the back wall of the set was an image of a cornfield in a barn projected from a laptop, which lent a nice touch until notifications sent to that laptop kept popping up over the image of the cornfield. A giant tab asking if you want to download the latest version of Windows 10 kind of takes you out of the reality of being in Kansas. So does the actress playing Dorothy saying she wants to go back to Texas, which is something that also happened during the show. <laughs> On top of all that, in The Wiz, Dorothy isn't even from Kansas. She's from Harlem, where you're more likely to see Ted Cruz sitting in a barbershop talking about the OJs than you are to see a cornfield and a barn. <laughs> Suffice to say, there were few friends of Dorothy in Louisville last Saturday night. It did break one box office record, though. People began walking out only nine minutes into the show. <laughs> A spokesman for the theater declined to say how many angry calls they received, but that's probably because all the phones in the theater were replaced with black socks the staff purchased at Walmart. A production of The Wiz so terrible that people began demanding refunds after just nine minutes. Your next story of a nine-minute happening comes from Faith Saley. Simon Waddle and Imogen Dickens had been planning their wedding for years, ever since they first met at a Ren Fair in 2015 at the Drench a Wench Dunk Tank. Their wedding guests arrived at Hever Castle in Kent, England, prepared for a six hour ceremony of merriment, mead, and turkey legs. The groom's cake was to be a savory blackbird pie, but their nuptials didn't turn out as planned. The ceremony opened with a sword fight the bride and groom had been rehearsing for months. All was going swashbucklingly until nine minutes into their duel when Imogen lunged with too much lusty zeal and accidentally sliced off Simon's ring finger. It went flying through the banquet hall, leaving guests on hands and knees frantically searching for the severed digit. It was only when the falconer released his falcon that the finger was retrieved because the bird was really hungry. Simon snatched it from his beak and insisted on racing to the nearest hospital on horseback. Hours later, with his ring finger reattached, Simon brought Imogen to meet the wedding party at the local pub, where they finally exchanged vows. The groom, cheerfully under the influence of pain meds, toasted his wife. Me lady makes a nice, clean cut. <laughs> a Ren Fair-themed wedding goes south at the nine-minute mark. When the groom got his finger cut off, your last story of something that only took nine minutes comes from Paula Poundstone. The funeral of John Howard Walsh came in at a record nine minutes. Have there been other people buried quickly who unfortunately had no one to mourn their loss? Absolutely, says Karen Thompson of Thompson Mortuary Services. The difference is that Mr. Walsh had a gathering of family and friends. They just didn't have that much to say about him. John Lamore, Mr. Walsh's co-worker at Iron Mountain Document Shredding Services, spoke at his service. He was a quiet man, he said. He was quiet at work, anyway. It was hard to hear over the sound of the shredder. <laughs> Sometimes he'd yell, that was close. <laughs> or he'd turn off the machine and ask for some scotch tape if he'd made a mistake. The attendees 
heard from Mr. Walsh's priest, Father Richard Davin, who said the memorable words, he wasn't much of a sinner. I used to occasionally doze off in the confessional. His brother, Tim Walsh, took the, to the podium to say he had a wonderful smile before sidestepping back to his seat. The next speaker was even more brief. He just said, Tim said what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Three things happened after only nine minutes, but only one of them was real. Was it from Peter Gross? Patrons at a terrible performance of The Wiz demanding their money back because of how terrible it was. From Faith Saley, a big Renaissance-themed wedding becomes a disaster during an errant sword fight. And Paula's story of a funeral where nobody had much to say. Which is the real story? Um, I, I think it's number one you think at it was Round no- Theater because I've been there and they really put on rotten production. <laughs> You know, you know, they say everybody's a critic. I guess it's true. All right, Ray. Well, yeah. you, have, you have chosen for your own personal reasons. Peter's story of the theater company that put on a production of The Wiz so bad it took nine minutes before refunds were demanded. To bring you the real story, we spoke to someone, well, involved in this particular situation. They thought they were coming to see the NBC Wiz Live and the Fear Fox show just went really, really bad. That was Corey Black, the actress who played Ada Pearl, the good witch of the North oh, in The Wiz, fabulous. in this particular production. Congratulations, oh, Ray. You did get it right. You've won our prize. prize. You've earned a point for Peter Gross simply for telling, with real, I think, a sense of learned experience all about a terrible theater production. Thank you so much for playing, Ray. We really appreciate it. And now the game where we ask interesting people about things that simply don't interest them. It's called Not My Job. (laughs) Candace Bergen grew up as Hollywood royalty, the child of the famous ventriloquist Edgar Bergen, one of the most popular entertainers of his time. Unlike most children of royalty, though, she actually has talent. (laughs) She was a movie star in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and then in the 90s became the star of the seminal sitcom Murphy Brown, which is back 20 years later. So is Candace Bergen in the title role. Candace Bergen, welcome to Wait, Wait. First of all, congratulations on your Golden Globe nomination as Thank Murphy you. Brown. Thank you very much. That must be very gratifying to play a role and then come back 20 years later and n- nail it again and get, get like nominations and acclaim. Well, it's, it's, yes, it, it's very gratifying, but we've had a great time doing this show. And, and when you sat down to talk about bringing it back 20 years later, what sort of conversations did you have? What kind of changes? We actually, the show would never have been brought back if the election had turned out the way we wanted. Really? <laughs> If Hillary Clinton were president, we would never have brought the show back. Really? So, yeah. so what do you know? Donald Trump created a job. That's right. <laughs> there so I'm taking it Murphy Brown is not very happy with the current president. Oh, well, we've had, really, the, the man is a gift. Every day is a gift. It really is. That's and such a positive way to yes. look at what's going yeah, on. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know how many people who are fans of you now know this, but you were, in fact, 
an extraordinarily famous child because your father was one of the most famous Americans alive, right? Edgar Bergen. I don't think he was that famous, but he was... I think he was pretty famous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, your father, again, for those who don't know, was the world's most famous and successful ventriloquist. He had a dummy, Charlie McCarthy. And he, he was also a, a famous ventriloquist on radio. Yes. Which? <laughs> and I have to say, I have, and I mean no offense, I've seen archival film of your father doing his act, and just like people say, I have a face for radio, he was a ventriloquist for radio. Exactly. <laughs> Did you grow up, really, in, the, in your early years, thinking that you were um, Charlie McCarthy's sister? Oh, yes. I was always called Charlie McCarthy's sister, and, um, but, but he was far more than a brother. He was, he was like a head of state at our house. <laughs> and he had a room next to mine, and every now and then my father would bring him out, and we would just kind of sit. And once, I mean, I remember once we would have, in the breakfast room, he would put Charlie on one knee and me on the other, and, and um, he, when he would squeeze my neck, it meant that I should move my mouth. <laughs> He would, he would put you on a knee and treat you as if you were another ventriloquist dummy? That's correct, yes. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, Char Charlie must have been so jealous. <laughs> um, skipping ahead a bit. Yes. Uh, in the 90s, you starred in Murphy Brown, which I, as much as any other sort of sitcom or TV show it exemplified the 90s. It was like the, a dominant show. And of course, it became quite political when Dan Quayle famously went after not you, but your character. Did he know that it was a fictional character? <laughs> I don't think Dan Quayle had ever seen the show. Oh, really? But he was savvy. They, his handlers had taken the line about Murphy out of his speech, and he reinserted it into the speech, and that's all anybody talked about. I remember. For the entire six months of the campaign. It was on... It was on the front page of every paper, it was in every political cartoon, every editorial, it just didn't let up. Right. Don't those seem like beautiful, simpler times? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you won, in the original run, five Emmys. Yeah. The lead actress in a, in a comedy. Yeah. And I was going to say, that's almost unfair to the competition, but apparently you realized that yourself. And is this true that you said, please don't nominate me anymore? You turned it down? I didn't say, please don't, I just didn't submit myself for nomination. I, I didn't like go and say, please don't nominate. Oh, no, no, there don't do this. No, please. <laughs> and yes. did you take your five Emmys home and then bludgeon Charlie McCarthy with them? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an interesting question. Charlie where is he? Where is Charlie McCarthy? He's, he's in a, the he's, Smithsonian. Yeah, he's in the Smithsonian. Do you, are you, Absolutely. Yeah, like, I, yeah as, as Faith said, you ever bring your Emmys down there and go, hey, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> You may have gotten the inheritance, but I got these little babies. <laughs> One day I'm going to break out of this glass, and I swear to God, I'm going to steal those Emmys. Candace, when you were on The Muppet Show, yeah, what was that like? Was that like a, a trippy nostalgia to go right. back to talking with puppets, or yeah. what? Those were your cousins. <laughs> Let's just say it was a medium I was very comfortable with. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Pinocchio, or Grandpa, as you call him. <laughs> well, well, Candace Bergen, we could talk to you all day, but. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but 
we have invited you here to play a game we're calling Murphy Brown Meet Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law, of course, as I'm sure you know, is the law of the universe that anything that can go wrong will go wrong. We're going to ask you three questions about examples of Murphy's Law in effect. If you get two right, you'll win our prize to one of our listeners, the voice of their choice on their voicemail. Bill, who is Candace Bergen playing for? Dylan Watton of Queens, New York. Here, are you ready to do this? Sure. Okay, first question. McDonald's commissioned an internal corporate webpage once to help its employees eat better, but they had to take it down after what inevitably happened. A, the employees all gained an average of 20 pounds over six months. B, it, it illustrated the concept of poor nutrition with a picture of a McDonald's meal. <laughs> or C, it encouraged people to go out and eat at Burger King. <laughs> I would say that because they gained 20 to 25 pounds. You think that McDonald's gave its employees nutrition advice and they all followed it and they all ballooned like the Hindenburg. Well, isn't that what happens? Not in this case. What happened was <laughs> they the webpage they commissioned to illustrate good eating habits used a picture of a McDonald's cheeseburger and french fries <laughs> to illustrate what you should not eat. <laughs> So the McDonald's Corporation quickly took it down. <laughs> All right, you still have two more chances. Not a problem here. Bill Hilleman was gored by a bull in Spain. Bad enough, but it happened shortly after he did what? A, was arrested for 27 different incidents of cow tipping. B, wrote a book called How to Survive the Bulls of Pamplona. <laughs> or C, put on his new bright red cape. <laughs> Yeah. B. 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 Yes, I'll go with the other. You're right. Yeah. They're right. Everybody's right. That's what happened. He didn't read his own book. All right, last one. If you get this right, you win. A big game hunter in Zimbabwe was killed last year when what happened? A, a zebra caught sight of a zebra print bikini briefs and thought he was a rival male. <laughs> B, one of his fellow hunters mistook him for a, quote, balding lion. Or C, he shot an elephant, and the elephant fell on him. I guess the elephant fell on him. That's what happened. Yeah. It's tragic. But at least, at least we know one of them died happy. <laughs> Bill, how did Candace Bergen do on our quiz? She won. Congratulations. <laughs> Somewhere in the Smithsonian Institution, a wooden dummy just went... Damn. <laughs> Candace Bergen stars as Murphy Brown on the show Murphy Brown, back after a short hiatus. It airs Thursday nights on CBS. She was just nominated for a Golden Globe for the part. Candace Bergen, thank you so much. Candace Bergen, ladies and gentlemen. In just a minute, Bill wants you to fly the overly friendly skies in our listener limerick challenge. Call one triple eight. Wait, wait. To join us on the air, we'll be back in a minute with more. Wait, wait. Don't tell me from NPR. Listener, Peter here again, just running off the stage and into your device to ask you that you please give now to your local NPR station at donate.npr.org slash wait. And thanks. This message comes from NPR sponsor Paribus, a free service from Capital One. 
you no longer have to accept the fact that you missed out on a great deal. That's because Paribus tracks your guaranteed shipments at online retailers like Amazon, and if the delivery is late, it helps make getting compensated effortless. This year, don't stress about losing money on gifts that arrive late. Prepare for holiday shopping. Sign up at getparibus.com. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We're playing this week with Faith Seeley, Paula Poundstone, and Peter Gross. And here again is your host at Carnegie Hall in New York City, Peter Sago. Thank you, Bill. Thank you so much. In just a minute, Bill goes down to Katz's Deli and orders himself a pastrami on rye. It's our listener <laughs> limerick challenge. If you'd like to play, give us a call at one triple eight. Wait, wait. That's one eight 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 nine two four eight nine two four. Right now, panel, some more questions for you from the week's news. Faith, great news for people who might worry about their diets. Turns out, French fries are not so bad for you. All you have to do is what? All you have to do is eat six. That's correct. <laughs> oh wow! Or more to the point, just eat six. Eric Rim, a professor at the Harvard School of Public Health, made a recommendation this week that absolutely no one will follow. According to the doctor, a reasonable and healthy serving of fries is limited to six. And everybody was like, great, no problem, I can do six bags of fries. And he said, <laughs> no, I meant six French fries. And people were like, wait, do they come in numbers that low? <laughs> Now, he did say you should only eat six, no more fries if you want to stay healthy, but he did not say what size the fries had yeah, to be. Really? Yeah, right. So they look, steak fries or they McDonald's So no, fries? no, look for McDonald's introducing the new pool noodle size <laughs> French fries. I think he meant like hold six at a time, shove them in your mouth, <laughs> right. wait, have six more. Well, and that's then... true. There's also the time factor. He said six French fries per meal. So welcome to our new world in which you get to have three square meals every 12 minutes. <laughs> you know how when you have the bag of fries and then you pull out the one that's really long anyways, it's, uh, that's always kind of exciting. It is. So, I, Six of those. Six of those really good ones. The first thing I would have to do is dump the bag out and find Well, that will happen if right people six. are trying to limit themselves to this. They'll try to find the biggest six that yeah. they can find. I would yeah. maybe go to the other tables of diners. To try to find. I try to. I said, trade you these two short ones for that nice long one. By the way, just to make it clear, it's not that six French fries are good for you. It's the most you can have without instantly dying. No, that's no. I think you've misunderstood. No, uh, if you're sick, what they're saying is eat six French fries. If you're sick. Yeah. What do you mean? They're so, good th for you. They're good for you. It's like penicillin. Nature's yeah. penicillin. Exactly. You six know, French fries, yeah. healthy, will clear up your mind. Cold everything. and flu season, Whatever. best thing for you. Six seventh, French fries. Seventh French fry, instant death. Yeah, exactly. That food pyramid is at the very bottom. is just a French fry lying on its side. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, in honor of our appearance here at Carnegie Hall, yes. America's most prestigious and storied concert hall, there's a new study out this week that's about intestinal distress. <laughs> Researchers found that what can trigger an intense need to run to the restroom? It does have something to do with Carnegie Hall. You're saying it because we're talking about I was talking movements. basically mm. that I'm um, sitting here talking about explosive diarrhea on the stage that Bernstein himself graced. So, yes, that's why I brought that up. And this is up. definitely a run to do number two, not oh, number one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, uh, so tell me about yourself. What do you do for fun? Oh, I'll be right back. Date? A first date. Wow. First dates have now been linked 
to incidents of what we will call datorrhea. <laughs> Scientists say the stress of a first date can be so great it can actually trigger your fight or flight response, the flight specifically of whatever you ate right out of your body. So, you know, so just remember though that one thing that you can do to ease the tension of a first date, don't worry about your impression, ask questions. Questions like, will you excuse me? <laughs> Hold that thought, I'll be right back. Do you have a spare or, pair of underwear? Exactly. <laughs> Coming up, it's lightning fell in the blank, but first it's the game where you have to listen for the rhyme. If you'd like to play on air, call or leave a message at one triple eight wait wait. That's one eight 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 nine two four eight nine two four. Hi, you are on Wait Wait. Don't tell me. Hi, this is Sean calling from Atlanta, Georgia. And, and what do you do there? I'm a clinical tech, so um, I run the tests that physicians will order to diagnose your weird illness. Oh, really? So when they say we don't know what's <laughs> wrong with this person, and, and you get like a tissue sample or something that you have to test? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's usually poop. Or blood. <laughs> All right, it's usually poop or blood. Nice. The good stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate to ask this, which do you prefer? <laughs> you know? uh, blood is a lot easier to work with. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine. Right? I can imagine. Sean, welcome to the show. Bill Curtis is going to read for you three news-related limericks with a last word or phrase missing from each. If you can fill in that last word or phrase correctly on just two of the limericks, you will be a winner. Are you ready to play? Let's do it. All right. Here is your first limerick. I'm surprised that canned foods not died sooner. As millennial, I'm blamed as the ruiner. With no tools to crack open, they're fools to keep open. But for now, I won't buy this canned tuna. Yes, tuna. Millennials, those poor, poor people are being blamed for killing a, yet another thing, this time canned tuna. The reason may surprise you, uh, they're not buying it. They don't have anything against tuna. They just, most of them don't have a can opener. I mean, they just can't do it. It's not that they <laughs> don't know how to do it. On the other hand, how many times have you seen a confused 30-year-old holding a can and helplessly trying to swipe right across the top? <laughs> I don't know. It's not opening. Maybe it doesn't like me. Big is tuna. Really, is that really true that millennials can't use can openers? No, they just don't have them. Because if you think about it, when I, as an old person, was growing up, a lot of things came in cans. Right. Very few things do these days. Yeah, now they it, come phones in jars. used to come in, in cans, and yeah. now they're just everyone's yeah. got them in their pockets. Yeah. Okay, Sean, here is your next limerick. While this sale of a car you're initialing, taste my broth where I'm leaving the fish shell in. <laughs> I am selling used cars as I'm earning three stars in that fancy French food guide called Michelin. Yes! Food critics were amazed this week when a used car shop in Japan showed up on a Michelin list. The owner makes gourmet ramen and serves it in his waiting room, allowing buyers to get that new pork smell they're everybody looking for in a car. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a lot better than somebody who has a restaurant. I was like, oh, I'm going to sell cars out of this place. Yeah, I know. <laughs> The, the, the ramen, by the way, really is terrific, but as soon as you take the first sip, remember, the ramen loses a third of its value. <laughs> All right, here is your last limerick. I am keeping the lights in the aisle lit. My announcements are silky and violet. The cockpit's amusing. The altitude's cruising. You've just been swiped right by the... Oh, a pilot? Yes, the pilot. Can you give it to me? Oh, that's it. Oh, yeah, you got it. it. A man 
on an airplane flight, got a message from a guy on his dating app. I was like, oh, who's this? The guy's location was marked as 90 feet away. His profile picture featured a, him in a pilot's uniform. And the message he got in the dating app was, I see you're on my flight, enjoy the ride to Chicago. The man in his seat using the in-flight Wi-Fi, it's like he responded with some, you know, standard meeting online chat, like, tell me about yourself. Like, for starters, why aren't you flying the plane? <laughs> really? Yeah. But that could have been a really sexy conversation. It could be like, you know, why don't you come up front, try on my hat, I'll show you my cockpit. <laughs> I so don't find pilots uh, uh, compelling in that way. I... To me, they're, uh, you know, they're, we're, we're, uh, we're uh, going to circle for a little while. I think you're missing it. Thank you so much for choosing us, and uh, we're going to circle. For, oh, we're early. Look, and there's no ground crew. We're going to sit on the tarmac for a while. It's not sexy. Although you just reminded me how much better it is that they have these digital flat things, as you like to say, up in the cockpit, because back in the old day, they'd hit on guys with a PA, you know? <laughs> I really like uh, subway drivers who are like, oh, I've got a key come up here. <laughs> <laughs> 96 feet a second next time. We're going to the brown sweater. <laughs> See, that's a turn on. Yeah, yeah, you like that? <laughs> <laughs> Sean doing our quiz. He didn't even need the help. He got all three right. Congratulations, Sean. Spread your wings and fly away. Fly away with me. We can go where no one finds us. It's all behind. This message comes from NPR sponsor CBS All Access, presenting No Activity. Catch seasons one and two of the hilarious CBS All Access original series. From the comedic minds at Funny or Die, No Activity stars Patrick Brammel and Tim Meadows as detectives Cullen and Tolbeck, with appearances from Jake Johnson, Jessica Alba, and Oscar winner J.K. Simmons. Start your free trial of CBS All Access to catch up on seasons one and two of No Activity by visiting cbs.com wait. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Atlassian. Today, nearly anything is possible, and if we can dream it, teams can build it, from going to Mars to decoding the human genome. Atlassian is a collaboration software company powering teams around the world. Products like Jira Software, Confluence, Trello, and Bitbucket help teams plan, track, build, and work better together. Atlassian products are free to try, easy to set up, and work seamlessly together. Get started today at Atlassian.com. Now on to our final game, lightning fill-in-the-blank. Each of our players will have 60 seconds in which to answer as many fill-in-the-blank questions as he or she can. Bill, can you give us the scores? Faith and Paula each have two. Peter has three. Well, we flipped a coin, and Paula has decided to go second. Faith, that means you're up first. Here we go. On Monday, President Trump said he would formally end the blank trade deal. Uh, NAFTA. Right. 
on Sunday, law enforcement in Israel recommended the indictment of blank on charges of bribery and fraud. Netanyahu. Right. After losing the governorship of their state, GOP leaders in blank passed measures to weaken the executive branch's power. Wisconsin. We would have accepted Michigan as well. In response to protests, French President Blank scrapped plans for a fuel tax increase. Macron. Right. This week, police in California engaged in a high-speed chase with a Tesla driven by blank. Elon Musk. No, the Tesla was being driven by itself because the driver was so drunk he passed out. Oh. Thursday, the president of Ecuador said that Blank could leave the embassy if he wished. Assange. Yes, indeed. This week, the president of Nigeria was forced to send out an email assuring his constituents that he was not a Blank. Um, he was not an alien. No, he sent it out to tell everybody that no, contrary to rumor, he was not a clone. <laughs> Uh, due to medical issues, or so he says, the president of Nigeria disappeared for several months last year. He traveled to London for treatment. Since re returning, rumors have circulated that he's not the real president, but actually a clone created in a lab to fool people. The conspiracy theory has gained so much traction, the president was forced to send out an email this week affirming that he is who he says he is. And this, of course, put the rumors to bed, because if there's one thing you can trust, it's an email from someone claiming to be a powerful Nigerian. <laughs> Bill, how did Faith do on our quiz? Got five right, ten more points, total of 12, gives her the lead. All right, very well done, Faith. We expected no less. Paula, you're up next, fill in the blank. According to new data released this week, global blank emissions rose 2.7% this year, reaching a record high. Uh, car emissions. Yes, yeah, carbon emissions. <clears throat> Following a briefing by the CIA, many senators say they're certain that blank played a role in the death of Jamal Khashoggi. The prince of uh, Saudi Arabia. I'll give it to you as Mohammed bin Salman. On Thursday, recreational blank officially became legal in Michigan. Oh, pot. Yes. On Monday, celebrity scientist blank denied allegations of sexual misconduct. Uh, Degrassi. Yes. Well, uh, Neil, Neil deGrasse, deGrasse Tyson. Tyson. On Thursday, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel and A Star is Born led the nominations for the 2019 Blank Awards. Oh, we were just talking about We it. were. The, the global, the... the the, you almost said global warming. The global warming awards. The, uh, <laughs> oh, let's just give it to you. The Golden Globe Awards. Th that's what I meant. In response to concerns about kids eating Tide Pods, a grocery store in Colorado has decided to remove them from blank. Uh, the candy section. Exactly right. <laughs> For months, the supermarket in Greeley, Colorado, has stocked their Tide Pods right next to their candy. Instead of with other detergents, which are located a few miles, a few aisles a few away, miles. a few miles away now. Big store. <laughs> located a few aisles it's the away. giant in Greeley. Yeah. Following complaints from several parents, the store announced they'd be moving the Tide Pods, meaning that now nothing in the store's candy aisle will pose a risk to kids' health except for literally everything else in the candy aisle. <laughs> Bill, how did Paula do in our quiz? Paula may think she didn't do well, but she got six right for 12 more points. Now she is in the lead with 14. All right, then. How many does Peter need to win? Six to win. Here we go, Peter, for the game. This week, investigators found more evidence of voter fraud in the recent election in blank. Is it North Carolina? Yes. On Tuesday, the looming threat of a global trade war caused the blank to fall by over 3%. Dow Jones. Right. This week, representatives from over 200 countries met for the largest conference on blank since the Paris Accords. Uh, the climate, global warming. Yes. On Tuesday, it was reported that hackers stole thousands of emails from blank's congressional committee. Uh, the RNC? Or the Republican uh, yeah. Congressional good, Committee. Yeah. Good enough. Uh, after keynote speaker Steve Bannon was forced to withdraw, organizers announced they were canceling the blank conference. 
Uh, the, the scruffy white supremacist uh, fat guy <laughs> conference. No, uh, once Steve Bannon was forced to withdraw, they canceled the Conference on Love and Sex <laughs> with Robots. <laughs> According to a report released Thursday, social media site Blank gave user information to its advertisers. Facebook. Right? Over the past week, Alaska has been struck by over 200 blanks. Uh, earthquake. Right? On Wednesday, dozens of cops in Virginia were called in to help quell rioters trying to get Blank. Uh, out of Virginia. No, they were trying to get free cheesecake. <laughs> to celebrate its 40th anniversary, Cheesecake Factory was offering free slices to customers, but a location in Arlington County ran out before 2 p.m. and angry customers lost their minds. <laughs> Twelve police cars were called to the scene, one fire truck and also an ambulance, though that was just there for the one guy who actually managed to eat some of the cheesecake. <laughs> Bill, did Peter Gross do well enough to win? He got six. He needed six. He has a total of 15 for the win. I want to kind of be off. In just a minute, we're going to ask our panelists to predict what will be the new up-to-date modern Christmas carol that will replace Baby, It's Cold Outside. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions, Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Godica writes our limericks. Our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our interns are Catherine Coates and Zoe Lowenberg. Our web guru is Beth Novi. B.J. Lederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dornboss, and Lillian King. Our Lillian Prince is Peter Gwynn. <laughs> Technical direction from Lorna White. Our business and ops manager is Colin Miller. Our production coordinator is Robert Newhouse. Our senior your producer is Ian Chillog, and the executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Michael Danforth. Now, panel, what song will replace Baby, It's Cold Outside for our modern sensibilities? Peter Gross. Um, <clears throat> based off of Little Drummer Boy, we're going to get Little Dummy Boy about how much Paula loves Charlie McCarthy. <laughs> <laughs> Faith Sailing. With marijuana becoming increasingly legal, the new classic will be Angels We Have Heard Well High. <laughs> Paula Poundstone. Well, you know, because Baby It's Cold Outside is such a beautiful uh, musical song, uh, they're just going to change it uh, to be men trying to avoid even consensual sex with women. Uh, uh, baby, there's mold inside. <laughs> well, if any of that happens, we'll ask you about it on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you, Bill Curtis. Thanks also to Peter Gross, Faith Saley, Thanks to Melissa LaCase and everyone at WNYC New York. Thanks to the staff and crew at Carnegie Hall and our fabulous audience here in the nation's premier concert venue. Thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Peter Sagal. We'll see you next week. This is NPR.